everyone, this is Fashion Knowledge and my name is Beta Vichek. I am a Berlin-based critical fashion practitioner and I work across education, research and strategy. I lecture on fashion, design and digital cultures and I run a consultancy and research laboratory called Unfolding Strategies. In each episode, together with my students and fellow researchers and practitioners, we discuss the fashion's most urgent issues and try to reimagine the socially just, sustainable and digital fashion futures. Welcome everyone. Today our lovely guest is Norin Kamisani, who is a designer, researcher and educator from London uh, and who has been working in, with ethical fashion since 2009. Norin is currently based in Dubai, where she joined DIDI, the Dubai Institute for Design and Innovation, where she teaches on sustainable fashion. Her practice is twofold. As apart from working with students and writing paper, she also runs Outsider, a fashion label focused on design for longevity. Norin has an extremely versatile fashion design work experience as she has worked with such experimental designers as Suzanne Cianciolo uh, and such retailers as Ted Baker and Hobbs. Today, we will talk about Norin's expertise in design for multiple lives, upcycling and fashion design education. This last thing, design education, this is also what connected us last year when Norin reached out to me on LinkedIn. We discovered that our interests in education are connected and started a collaborative research initiative called Teaching Fashion Together. It is a space for collaborative research and conversations with fellow teachers. We both hope for more plurality in fashion education, but before we get to the point where we talk about what the future of fashion education will be, I would like to start from the beginning. So Norin, my first question is, what is ethical fashion? How do you define it? Oh, okay. Um, well, I think ultimately, whenever we're talking about this kind of terminology, so whether we're talking about ethical or sustainable, sustainable and you know the numerous terms that we uh, have to kind of grapple with now I mean they're always umbrella terms you know so I think it's quite complicated to have one definition I think that they bring together a lot of different factors and so depending on who's talking about it and the context within which we're talking about it it can mean different things um, for me personally um when I started, so I mean, I started my business officially in 2009, but I started doing research before that. And at that time, I was, you know, very much kind of working uh, with high street retailers in the UK. And I was watching the kind of, well, and I was having to be part of these kind of interactions, for example, with factories in faraway countries. And I mean, I think this is a very natural thing. Um, that I experienced um, that, you know, over time, as I was watching these interactions, I just felt like, well, this is really wrong. You know, like, why are we asking for discounts when the factory has been flooded? You know, why are we, uh, you know, asking for discounts when this has gone wrong? Why are we, you know, there was always this kind of um, interactions where no matter what the factory did, um, they had to pay for it and they were somehow responsible. And I just had this, you know, realization that, you know, here we are sitting in London having this very privileged life and these people in these factories we really have no idea what conditions they're working with and it's just a constant bombardment of um you know yeah just it felt like I felt very uncomfortable so for me um that was sort of the beginning of okay 
I want to be able to create fashion. I want to be able to work in the fashion industry and not be uncomfortable with the way that I'm interacting and working with people. You know, I really believe that uh, all human beings, I mean, we all have a right to decent work and to safe working conditions and, you know, to be paid a, you know, a proper wage for that. Um, and so this is really the starting point for me personally. And I think, you know, if we're thinking about ethical fashion, it should be fashion that doesn't harm, you know, people uh, or animals or the planet ultimately. Um, but as I said, I mean, it, it's very, very broad, but mm -hmm. ideally to not do any harm would be for me the most ethical uh, approach. Although, you know, um, I'm not sure if perfection is possible. <laughs> But mm. I think that's the dream. Well, let's let, let's see. Let's 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 discuss this maybe farther. <laughs> so, okay. So you come from this moment that uh, you're a part of industry. You have this realization uh, that is very harmful. So I'm curious. Then, how do you react? And obviously, this is this is the part when those topics get difficult because they're very pessimistic and it's suddenly saturating something that is, you know, painful, problematic, uh, and so on. So. What kind of, uh, you know, sustainable or ethical strategies do you introduce in your own design practice? Like, what do you do to make it possible, bearable, doable or ethical in yeah. some ways? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, again, it's sort of it's it came in sort of layers, you know, so my first research was kind of around okay, so, you know, what does it mean if I want to design a fashion that is, you know, sustainable and ethical? And I kind of mapped out what that meant for me, because certainly uh, in the late 2000s, it wasn't as established as, as it is now. But I mean, even now, when you look at the brands, obviously, there's so much variety. Um, but for me, I'd always had this fascination um, with, you know, the term we have now is designed for longevity. Um, but at that time, I just knew even from when I did my final collection at university, I was really interested in um, garments that are timeless, that sort of have an essence of something, but you can't quite place them. And, you know, the designers that I really liked were the designers that worked in this way that wasn't necessarily so driven by seasons, sort of a slower development. I always found that more fascinating and more emotive. So that was really my starting point. It's kind of this realization of like, oh, this is actually the way I think fashion should be anyway. I think it should be slower. I think it should have a sort of timelessness to it. I think there's something quite magic about this idea um, of, you know, those pieces that are passed down, maybe through families, those pieces that you've had for years. Um, but every time you wear them, people are like, oh, is that new? Or where's that from? That's nice. You know, I think there's this kind of magic in all those pieces. So that was kind of from a creative perspective, that was my driver as I was trying to design something that was timeless and, and, and not kind of trend driven. And then within that, uh, working with fabrics that were as sustainable as possible. Again, when I first started, it was quite limited what I could access. So there was also this need to kind of spend a lot of time sourcing fabrics and then kind of designing really fabric led because I couldn't just kind of go and pick okay I'll have this and this and this you know um, I had to kind of go okay so as a small designer I'm starting a range I can probably buy two rolls of fabric all right so the whole collection is going to be made in this and this so but of course I chose you know the most sustainable fabrics that I could um, so at the time I was using like a hemp silk and some linen and some organic cotton and then that sort of evolved over years. 
And then uh, working with a factory that I felt comfortable spending time in, you know, so making sure that um, it had, you know, good safe working conditions, that I could go and visit it, um, that I could see that people were, you know, working in a way that they were, you know, allowed to come and go. You know? um, well, these kinds of things, I think, um, you know, again, at scale, when you're working with a, a bigger company, you can have, say, audits and certifications and things. But as an independent designer, when you're first starting, and certainly what I did is I, I went on my gut and I went and spent time at the factory to see what it was like. So there were these kind of layers of, say, ethics, uh, sustainable fabrics, and then design for longevity. And do you think, because you said it's, it's changed a lot in recent years, so what do you think there are now some certain new, I don't know, ways of doing things or certain parameters that young designers can apply to their work? Well, I think there's a lot more scope and accessibility to just a much wider variety of fabrics now than ever before. Um, I also think the sort of um, availability, for example, to source uh, materials if you want to do um, you know, like upcycling or, you know, the, the infrastructure is improving, it still definitely needs work, but it's much more possible than it used to be to say, be able to, you know, access, you know, a certain amount of excess garments and recreate them or, uh, you know, more reliable sources for kind of end of the line rolls of fabrics. Um, and of course, there's also this really whole exciting area of uh, biomaterials, you know, and new kind of materials mm. um, that as a designer, you can now have much more control over. So I think for me, that's one of the most exciting things uh, within fashion practice is the fact that we don't just have to be limited to uh, buying or, or getting a finished fabric. You know, we can actually create fabrics ourselves um, and have control in that way. But can you imagine those strategies and those approaches to be being adapted on a mass scale? Like, are they universal or are, are they only kind of small to medium? I don't know. I mean, um, I guess for me personally, I'm not that interested in scale. So I don't necessarily think of that, you know, hmm. when I'm thinking about what, <laughs> what I'm interested in. Or I'm, I actually think that scale is is the problem and mm -hmm. what we need is a lot less of these big companies and a lot more small independents um so that's i guess more i would say my interest although i've worked for those big companies um but i mean again we're seeing a big i mean lot, loads of big brands are doing upcycling i mean prada is doing upcycling levi's is doing upcycling i mean there's a massive resurgence of like re-commerce um so I think it absolutely can be done at scale, but I'm not sure if it's as good when it's done at scale or as creative as when you see independent designers doing it in different places and in different ways. Yeah, that's why I asked because I find it so surprising that suddenly those kind of, I would say still a couple of years ago, niche sustainable strategies are suddenly like a thing. And there's the whole kind of brand identities now evolving around them as companies are trying to push sustainable efforts. And on the one hand, it's, it's great that, you know, in, in, in some ways that they're doing that. And many companies were also doing that before in order to save on materials. So it wasn't an accident that H&M group companies would have, I don't know, COS, for example, used to do that, that you would have one leather product and then the next season you would see a smaller one from the same color, from the same leather, because it's obviously efficiency and you're saving materials. So there's a perfect, you know, business logic to it. The same with 
uh, selling your dead stock instead of, for example, as Barbara did in the past, burning it. So there are all those ways of mm. making those things work, but also at the same time claiming that they are sustainable. And I find them very fascinating. And I, and, you know, and I'm mesmerized that they're operating on such a mass scale. I'm just thinking, when is it, you know, when is it same, same, but different? Where, where is this kind of shift when it's, uh, is it like big companies chasing ethicality? But we don't have to go in this direction. Uh, I'm, no, but I'm, I think it's um, I think it's a really relevant point because I think and I don't know what the answer is, but I think it's something to always consider. Right. It's kind mm -hmm. of that. Um, of course, it's not like we don't want H&M to do something because, I mean, H&M is huge. So, you know, if H&M improves their sustainability work, you know, by five percent, that relates to, you know, tens of thousands of units. So that's actually huge impact. Mm -hmm. But the point is it's kind of, it's a drop in the ocean compared to the damage they're doing, right? So mm. it's this, it's this really kind of uncomfortable space, I think, because, you know, you want them to do something, that's great, but do they deserve to get so much press, <laughs> like this tiny thing, really, in the scheme of everything else, you know? So, uh, yeah, I find it really difficult and I, I still can't quite decide what I think. I still think it's better they do something, mm. but is that if you on a sort of personal level if you want to say you know um think about consuming fashion in a more ethical way then I think it's uh, better to go to those independent designers um that are probably creating the much more creative and exciting pieces that you know um are going to be the things that you really want to keep and treasure for, for, for a long time because there's a lot more meaning um and uh you know, um, I would say love that's gone into the creation of those things. Hmm. And I would like to go back to upcycling. So why do you, how do you, how do you even explain to people what upcycling is? You also said before, design for longevity. Maybe this is also not clear for everyone. What does it uh, mean? Because this is kind of imposing life and death uh, into <laughs> the life cycle. Again, very kind of humanizing, uh, you know, garments and products that surround us. So. So how do you particularly work with upcycling? What does it mean to you and what it has to do with this long life, longevity, life and death of mm. environments? Well, so, I mean, in general, you know, um, we're talking more and more in fashion about, you know, garment lifetimes, um, because there was a huge amount of research that was done in the UK by RAP that showed that by increasing lifetimes, you know, even by, you know, three months, six months, um, the kind of uh, reducing, uh, reduced climate impact, you know, so it's really important for us to think differently about the way that, you know, we use resources ultimately. So if we can create things and then use them for longer, then we're reducing uh, the amount, the need for say more new resources, right? We're using our resources in a better way in very simplistic terms. So that's really where sort of design for longevity comes in is you know it's almost the opposite of fast fashion so it's like slow fashion so you know if you are creating a t-shirt and you know in a sort of fast fashion system a t-shirt would be designed and created to last three months and you know in sort of design for longevity you might be thinking about creating a t-shirt to last three years or 10 years or you know whatever you want um, but the whole idea is to create something that can have that extended life and, and then that will relate to lots of things that would be, say, the aesthetic of the design, uh, the material you choose, uh, you know, how you construct it, all these different factors will impact its success or failure. 
Um, but yeah, the idea is to design something that can last a long time, but I also find it really interesting and I guess this kind of goes back to what my original interest was even as a student is kind of how do you design something uh, like a fashion you know piece that someone wants to have that kind of long-term relationship with because we've sort of been trained out of treasuring and keeping garments for a long time so I, I find it really fascinating to design something to have that kind of long-term interaction with someone and to have a long lifetime um, either with one or, or multiple users. I also think that's you know really interesting. Yeah, that, that leads to my next question. So I, I am always confused when I think about you know this kind of renting fashion model and I know that mm -hmm. you are uh, that you know more than I do about it. And I'm interested what's your opinion because on one hand there is this very emotive uh, narrative behind you know human garment relationships which is now going with digital fashion in a totally different direction uh, because this creates another way of you know, ownership, but this is not our main subject today. Nevertheless, we have those intimate relationships with garments and then also next to it, this is idea of renting garments. So how does that, you know, how this kind of behavioral, emotional relationship with garments uh, in, in terms of those sustainable scenarios, how does it play out? Sorry, so what's your question about that specifically? <laughs> yeah, so on one hand, you say that, you know, you want you particularly design mm. for longevity, you design garments that are going to be worn, and that people who own them will have some relationships with them. So I mm. imagine it very much as this kind of one on one relationship between mm. human and a garment. Yeah. And then yeah. rental services yeah. are actually, for me, they are derived from this personal connection, the, this, this kind of uh element of co-ownership doesn't doesn't basically give me this emotive you know uh feeling well i guess it's also about having variety right because i think that's one of the um challenges you know especially as we're sort of trying to say transition people to more sort of sustainable behaviors uh with fashion mm -hmm. so i mean if you say to people well okay, everything you buy um, has to be something that you're going to wear a lot and you're going to keep for a long time and you have to buy less. Okay, so uh, I mean, for some people that's completely fine. For some people that's a massive relief because they're like, oh, I can just wear like a uniform and that's brilliant. Um, for other people, uh, you know, they I like want... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's for some I, people, I like yeah, like this scenario. whole minimalist capsule wardrobe, all that camp are like, yes, perfect, that's great. Um, but of course, we have to, you know, think about the fact that there are many different types of uh, fashion users and fashion lovers, and there's different reasons why we want fashion. So, you know, even for me, like, uh, you know, I have my own brand, I have numerous dresses in my collection, but, you know, if I get invited to a party or a wedding, sometimes I might want to wear something else, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that I want to buy something to wear. So I think this is the space where fashion rental has a real opportunity. So it could be uh, you know, the sort of the more, uh, perhaps the more sort of fashion forward experimental pieces, maybe like a crazy sequin jumpsuit, something that you might want to wear just once, never again. Um, you know, I think those kinds of things are so perfect in the kind of rental model where you can have still the fun of fashion, you can experiment with self-expression, you can experiment with, you know, how you want to be that week or for that particular event. Um, so, you know, I think I think fashion rental has so much potential, and I think it could also be 
for more everyday garments for sure but I think maybe initially there's a kind of re-education that needs to happen because we do very much feel that our garments you know are ours and they're sort of intimate because they are on our bodies so certainly I think we need a bit of time and it needs to be more widely available and I think more convenient for it to grow um but i think that has massive potential because i don't know i just i yeah so i did a lot of research in this in my masters and you know i just remember having these conversations just with some of the girls in my masters and we were just talking about how you know wouldn't it be so great on like a friday night to like go to the fashion library you know get dressed up in your friday night outfit from the rental then go out in your <laughs> rental outfit you know, and it, it could very much become a part of the sort of social fabric and, and become quite everyday, but it's just, it's not something we're used to. It feels kind of new to us, right? It's only mm. really for sort of like costumes or like wedding rental that, that it's established. Um, but I think in the same way that people have changed their, their, you know, relationships with, I mean, you know, who buys CDs anymore? You know, you don't even need to own your car anymore, right? I mean, there's so many other avenues where we've become used to wanting access and not ownership. And I do think that this will happen with fashion, but maybe it's going to take like five or 10 years. Mm, yeah, definitely. The, the, the shared economy in fashion is something that is progressing very, very, uh, very slowly. And there were many exciting projects of that sort, but somehow they, you know, they had to collapse. We have now uh, a new one uh, in Berlin mm -hmm. that's kind of uh, been going on, I think, for six months. It's called Pool. I'm very curious how it's gonna, how it's gonna be and how it's gonna develop. Uh, even though I'm a team uniform person and I don't see myself subscribing to it, but I think that already, you know, many. Uh, many companies such as Zalando, Asus, that actually uh, send many boxes back and forth. I think they also opened this outlet, this possibility for people to be able to rent out and resend. So I think this also actually created certain, certain habits in consumers. But let's talk a little bit about education. What are you currently working on with your students? What, what are you doing at uh, DIDA? Um, so we just finished our semester. Um, but yeah, this past semester, uh, I was working with um, a fashion studio course. And I had set the kind of project uh, based on the research that I did on my master's. So they had to design for multiple lives. So they had to think about designing a jacket specifically, and then, you know, a full collection around that, but specifically thinking about how they could design a jacket that could have multiple lives. And then within that, we were also um, integrating an element where they had to create their own materiality. So some of them used 3D printing, some of them created biomaterials, um, different kinds of experiments kind of came out of that. And then, um, you know, they were thinking about, I know some of them were designing for like uh, a garment that could be shared between a husband and wife or between a mother and daughter. Um, some of them were thinking about jackets that would have different elements that would come apart. So each part of the jacket would have a different life cycle. So we've been experimenting a lot with sort of thinking, yeah, thinking about different types of, of life cycles and materiality within fashion. Yeah, I think, um, I think, yeah. oh, so, sorry to interrupt, no, it's okay. but, I, but I really like this kind of idea of creating garments that can be shared by, by different communities, group of mm -hmm. people, I don't know, biological families, non-biological families. I think this is, uh, 
is very, very interesting for kind of decentralizing, uh, you know, experiencing and consuming fashion uh, this way. So yeah, this is a great mm. idea. I'm, I'm really looking now for more collaborative fashion design projects. So there, there is a collaborative authorship in fashion design. So I think actually consuming fashion collectively, maybe I also promote this idea, you know, of co-creating fashion and teams together, not only having this one grand designer mm. uh, figure, but that was just a side note. Please, you wanted... No, but no, 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 I was just gonna say, but actually, um, yeah. So with this third year studio that I was teaching, um, they were all working in design duos. So they all had to actually design with another person and, and mm -hmm. work with another person on that. That was also very interesting to see how um, they had to kind of, you know, take their individual kind of design aesthetics and kind of merge it together and <laughs> push that through. So, yeah, I set them a lot of challenges, but they did a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great to hear. I hope we will see more projects like this uh in future that kind of embraces collaborative uh, collaborative spirit and I don't know what was the project that gave you most satisfaction in this educational context um so there was one duo that did um this project where they were sort of looking at like an insect sort of ectoskeleton and how insects kind of shed their skin and then they sort of have this second life and they were using that as kind of the starting point and so they did some very interesting work where they you know created their own biomaterial using cactus i think and then um they created these kind of skeletal sort of pieces using 3d printing and then they were sort of embedded in this biomaterial and they i mean i don't even know how they did it because it's really not easy to create biomaterials that are so um, just so kind of flexible, but also strong, you know, and they managed to like pleat this fabric and construct it into the garment. And yeah, so that was, um, that was really, yeah, beautiful. And also they created a kind of fashion film to tell the story. So it was just a very successful and fully developed project. So that gave me a lot of joy um, just mm. to see them kind of, yeah, go from something that, I think was quite a big challenge, but they managed to take it through into something very much uh, that was unique and surprising. Hmm. Yeah, that, that sounds like a beautiful project, but it also makes me think, you know, do we, do you think that with such efforts, such as discussing sustainability and biomimicry and biomaterials, do you think that even in the next 10 years we'll be talking about it? Is it going to become a new normal or this is always going to be this kind of uh, pro-ecological, pro-ethical branch of designing and design education. So I don't know, maybe if mm. we could like speculate, you know, let's imagine that we're sitting here 10 years from now, we're meeting, we're recording another podcast, it's 2031. And <laughs> we're trying to discuss exciting, urgent, important things in fashion. Are we still talking about mm. sustainability and biomimicry? Well, um we'll be well into the climate emergency by then or should we actually speak as if we are like oh it's really hot it's really hot I mean I'm in Europe but it's the same temperature it used to be in Dubai 10 years ago you know <laughs> I mean um I do think we'll be in a very different setting I think uh I mean maybe not in 10 years maybe it'll take more than that but of course if if we see the sort of warming occur then we're not going to be able to say create the materials that we're used to now or at the scale that we're used to now so I, I think you know it will 
you know, it could be potentially a situation like, uh, you know, post-war, right, where we had rationing and where people can only access materials in certain ways. And so then it becomes really useful uh, for all those designers that have had training to work with different types of materials and to work with different types of sources. And I mean, I know we actually you asked me before, I didn't really get to it, but, you know, you mentioned sort of upcycling. And, you know, I think that's something that's definitely going to be an essential skill for a fashion designer. And that's something I've worked with, um, with a second year group. And we actually had, um, you know, waste donated by a fashion brand that's just upstairs from our university. And we had to transfer, they had to, well, they had to transform whatever pile of waste they were allocated with. And, you know, I definitely think um, that that's something we're going to have to get very much used to uh, in fashion practice because we have huge amounts of textiles that are currently wasted, that are, you know, ending up in landfill. You know, all these big brands have warehouses full of garments that are unsold. So being able to, uh, you know, design and create with, you know, existing garments rather than a roll of fabric, I think is, is gonna be a really important skill because I think it's inevitable. Great. Uh... Thank you so much. There was a hint of optimism in this rather uh, <laughs> pessimistic scenario. I was, I, I was secretly hoping that you will say that's going to become so common that actually we will not have to discuss sustainability and ethics because it's going to become a new normal. But that was more of a reality uh, check. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think I've been. I think I've been in this for over ten years. So I'm like, <laughs> it's taken ten years just to get a lot of people talking about it. You know, when I first started my label, well, it's coming up to 12 years ago, and I was like, oh, it's an ethical fashion label. And everyone would be like, ethnic? And I was like, no, 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 that's something different. I was like, this is ethic, okay, never mind. You know, so it's like, it's taken more than 10 years to get to the point where I think, you know, I'm sure you have as well with my students. Most of the students, if you say ethical fashion, sustainable fashion, they know something about it. They're used to that terminology. So it's taken 10 years to get to that point. So I would even say it took more time. It took, actually, I would say if we are pinpointing it historically, that kind of started in the 60s. So, you know, if this is 50 years in the making, maybe next 10 years, let's see, let's see where we are. Uh, that let's leave it, let's leave it open. But yeah, thank you for the for the for the uh, lovely conversation and great tips.